A new series. Uh, we're calling it The Bright Side. I'll explain that in a second, but uh, uh, it's going to come from these uh, words that Paul writes to his church family in a place called Philippi in AD 61. Uh, it was just a, a few years before this that in Acts 16, we, we see Paul heading to this Macedonian city, uh, a city of influence. He, he uh, meets a lady named Lydia there. He actually gets imprisoned there, and, uh, and that's where he sings the songs and the doors open. And remember, the jailer comes down to find the doors open and says, oh, I'm, I'm a dead man, and he decides to end his life. And Paul says to this guy in Philippi, hey, dude. We're still here. And those converts, Lydia and the jailer and his family, were the first to be among those counted in the church here at Philippi. They've, in the years since, uh, grown apparently. They've got uh, overseers and deacons. They've become an established church, a giving church. It's, it's why uh, Paul writes to them. He's been the benefactor, a guy named Epaphroditus. Everybody say Epaphroditus. That'd be a great name for your next child or a dog. It'd be cool. Here, Paffy. Anyway, uh... Epaphroditus was one of the, the members of the church of Philippi, and he uh, heads to, to Paul where he is imprisoned. I sh- did I mention that? Paul's in prison in Rome awaiting trial uh, before Caesar himself. Um, uh, so Paul writes this letter, um, shares his thoughts, says his thank yous, um, encourages his family, gives an update. Uh, we called this series The Bright Side, or Bright side, because that is a central theme to what Paul's writing. 16 times he uses some form of the word joy. He says in in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's like, if you didn't hear me the first time, let me hit it with you again. Rejoice and rejoice and rejoice 16 times. We'll talk about this more as we go through this book this summer. Uh, but joy is not a feeling. It's often associated with the feelings of like happiness. Um, but it's not a feeling, it's a choice. Joy is a choice that we make despite our circumstances to look with hope in life, to see, as it were, the bright side, and to move forward in our faith with God. I uh, did some hacking this morning in my, my study before I got up here. I took out like four of the six verses that we're going to preach. I got two things and two verses. It's still going to take a while, so just settle in, all right? Um, but I, I think what God has for us, and I, I want to, if I can move, I don't know where they went. They kind of scattered all over the place. But I want to talk to our graduates. It's a, it's a fitting day for us to celebrate them as we begin this book. Uh, because in the, the first couple verses... Paul kind of shows his hand. Here's what I, I, I want to focus on for you in life. Uh, here's the things that I, I hope for you as a church. He's going to get the joy and, and add that to his um, you know, themes in the book. But in the first two verses, we kind of get uh, a sense of what's coming. That reminds me of walking around the cereal aisle when I was a kid. Uh, I'm going to open this box after we're done this, this morning. I'm going to crush these honey smacks. I've been looking forward to it since I bought it yesterday. But uh, as a kid, I didn't get cool cereal like this. I got the stuff in the bag. Anybody remember the stuff in the bag? It tasted like the bag. (laughs) And so uh, once a year, my mom would buy us Fruit Loops. Uh, I I went to a lady's house in the town that we lived in in Maine. We called her our grandmother. Grammy Ada had this kind of cereal. It used to be called Sugar Smacks. Remember when they took sugar out of all the names? You've got to be old enough. Uh, But now it's Honey Smacks. It's not as bad. It's totally as bad. Anyway, uh... (laughs) But moms, you don't know that. It's just honey. It's natural. 
Yeah, and uh, I used to go to Grammy Ada's house, and I, I would just eat this, like breakfast, lunch, if she'd let me dinner. And, and so I, I was the kid who would leave the grocery cart, the safety of the grocery cart. Back when kids actually left parents' sides, um, I would uh, head over to the, grocery, or the, the cereal aisle, and I would just stare longingly at the honey smacks and just kind of touch the box, right? And I remember looking at it and thinking like, oh, there they are. This is what I want in life. I would always, this is the thing back in those days too. Do you remember when they used to put prizes in the cereal? I would always, that, that, that would be another thing. The only one thing that would take me away from the Honey Smacks if it's another box of cereal had a cooler prize in it, right? And then I'd look at that. And then nowadays they put these cool little puzzles on the back. I just, it's like I, I could spend hours. Before there were screens, there were cereal boxes, right? And I would spend hours. Now, why do I bring up cereal? It's because you can tell a lot about what's inside this thing just from looking at the box. And you can tell a lot about what's inside the letter to the Philippians just by looking at these first couple verses. Paul's opening lines um, give us a glimpse of what's going to happen in the rest of the letter. Uh, I'm going to call this morning's sermon Bright Side Priorities. Um, there's two of them as Paul reveals them here. Uh, there's more. But two are revealed here in the first two verses. Um, Paul's priority for the church, as we're going to see in his opening lines, is that they would stay low for Jesus. Everybody say that with me. Stay low for Jesus. He's going to talk about humility. He's going to talk about how he and his other fellow leader, a guy named Timothy, are slaves. Douloi is the Greek word. Slaves of Jesus Christ. Uh, in, in announcing himself in that way and not saying an apostle of Jesus Christ or the top dog in the church of Jesus Christ, um, he gives this not-so-subtle reminder to those that he's writing to, hey, this is our position when it comes to Jesus. We stay low for Jesus. And then he's going to uh, address the people in Philippi. He's going to call them the saints. We're going to talk about that Greek word. It's the Greek word hagios or hagioi is the plural and what saint means is basically set apart, set apart for God, set apart to live life with God, for God. So his second priority, just in this opening couple verses, is that we would stay low for Jesus and that we would stay loyal to Jesus and make him first in our lives. I'm like, wow, that's like so great for our high school graduates because as you head out into life, those are your two most important names. You might think grades and making sure you get them so that you pass whatever college degree you're hoping for. Or jobs and making sure you secure them so that you can feed yourselves. And these are certainly important. But the most important thing that any of us can do as high school graduates or as their parents or friends or as those who are nearing maybe what might be, you know, the, 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 the dusk years of our lives. It's the priority of staying low for Jesus the priority of staying loyal to Jesus. Two verses, here we go. The first one opens like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. We need to stay low for Jesus. Uh, this whole servant or slave uh, idea of a, of a follower of Christ is pervasive throughout your scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, uh, people who followed God were always called the servants or slaves of God. Uh, slavery certainly has its uh, you know, negative connotations. But in the time that Paul's writing this, a full third of the culture that was uh, in Roman, uh, the, uh, the Roman Empire were slaves. The other, there was another third who were former slaves. 
Like, slavery was just a part of life. If, if you got into debt, guess what? You were going to go work it off as someone's slave. If you were born into slavery, guess what? You were going, unless the master decided to emancipate you, remain a slave for the rest of your life, and your kids would too. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not here to argue with the merits of slavery. Uh, I think we can all agree, not great. Uh, but it was a norm in this culture. So it wasn't weird for Paul to say, hey, when you think of yourself and in your relationship with Jesus Christ, think of yourself as a servant, as a slave to Jesus, as someone who is owned and as an owned one does what the master requires. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in his first letter, and he makes note of this. He says, we were bought with a price the price being Christ's sacrifice on the cross. If we've found life with him, we found life with him uh, as uh, an owned one. And as an owned one, we should make our owner our Lord. Paul dives deeper into this slavery imagery in another one of his letters as he wrote to Rome in the sixth chapter there. He said this in verse 16. Uh, He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? And then he gives the two options, either of sin, or, or, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Uh, We get to let someone own us. It could be the dark side or the bright side. The, 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 The evil that we were born into in our sin natures, or this new life that we can have with Christ. He goes on and he says in verse 17, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You found Jesus in so many words. And you went from being uh, uh, agents of sin, enemies of God, slaves to the life without him. And through faith in him, you are given a life anew. It says in verse 18, he says, and being set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness, slaves of God himself. Uh, he says some more things there, don't have time. In verse 22, he says this. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, uh, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end to eternal life. Since we have been set free. It's so great. There's this picture of freedom that leads to slavery. Does everybody see this? We used to be slaves to sin. God set us free from that through Christ. But now we become a slave of a different kind. We serve a different master. We submit ourselves wholly to the one who has bought us and owns us. Freed from sin to be a slave of Jesus. That fruit that comes from that leads to our sanctification. It it ultimately ends in our eternal life with Jesus in heaven. Tell me if you've heard this one before. It's the famous verse in Romans chapter three. It says this, for the wages of sin is what? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've never studied the context of that famous verse, it's in the context of the slavery discussion that we just went through. Slaves to sin no more, freed by Christ to be slaves to Jesus. The wages of life without Jesus, what we earn for that, death. But the free gift that God gives us is eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord, which, by the way, entails a life of servitude 
and slavery to Jesus. I was thinking through this, read a great book on this. I want to share with you some of the things that the writer uh, wrote down about uh, this life of servanthood with Jesus. Staying low for Jesus means uh, three things at least. Uh, One, our lives are God-directed, not self-directed. God-directed, not self-directed. Some of you are like, duh, Mark, we're in church. You're supposed to say that. I am, absolutely, supposed to say that. Uh, Easy to say, easy to preach, more difficult to achieve in life, right? Uh, I'm going to get to another uh, uh, thing that marks the servant life with Jesus, talking about obedience as opposed to rebellion in just a second. But when I say God-directed over self-directed, here's what I mean. My life is a story being written by a sovereign God. He's at work around me. He's inviting me to join him in the things that he has for me. And my mission in life as his follower, as his slave, is to seek his direction for my life, not mine. Uh, I love that all these kids have these plans for their future. Uh, I trust that they and their parents have you know, consulted with God as to which direction they should go and that they'll continue to do that as they do. Because the chief aim of life is not my direction's my will being fulfilled, the chief aim of life is for me to understand what God has for me and to follow him in that. You've heard me talk about this. Come on. Anybody heard your pastor say I didn't want to do this for my living? Yeah, I grew up in a pastor's house. If you asked me as a kid what I wanted to do, my simple answer was not pastor. That left every other option. Just not this. But God ordered my life in such a way that as I headed to a Christian university, which was not my plan, and began studying uh, his word, and, and actually as a 20-year-old, came online with Jesus for real, instead of just kind of, you know, um, culturally, familiarly. Now, he became my savior. I looked around and I was like, wow, my life has kind of funneled into this one thing. I, I've met a great uh, Christian woman, her name's Eleanor. She's been my wife for not long enough, uh, but almost 32 years. Uh, she is uh, uh, the, the woman I want to marry. I need a job, but I've gone through four years of Christian education. What am I qualified to do? Oh, come on. <laughs> I got to be a pastor. I started as a junior high intern, made $12,000 a year my first year. Uh, I didn't get into this for the money. I didn't want to get into this, but guess what God wanted? And guess what I've been doing? For 32 years. Yeah. Now, don't, oh, no, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't, that, that's, not a, that's not a me thing. I just told you. I did not want to do this. My will was not this. But God's will was that I'd stand before you on this morning and tell you this story to let you know that God's will for your life, whatever that will is. It could start here. It might end up here. You could live here. You might end up living here. Uh, you could, uh, you know, think this. It might be that. But whatever it is, as servants of God, we seek to have him direct life and not us. Uh, the second thing this writer talked about being a servant of God, uh, you know, a characteristic that we need to kind of hope for and, and see, uh, you know, in our lives is to be active and not idle. Servants are active and not idle. Anybody work with someone who doesn't do their job? Frustrating? Anybody? Hope you're not that person. Hope you're not that person. But if you've ever gone to work and someone's just there to get the check and they do the very least that they can possibly do, it's frustrating for the rest of the team. How frustrating then it is for the God of the universe 
to have imbued his spirit in you and to have given you spiritual gifts and to see you come in here every week after week and just sit on them and do nothing. What's that got to be for our God? Is that a hair pulling moment for him? Yeah, it's got to be a little bit, right? Because here's what a lot of Christians think. God's here for me. And he's here to love me and give me my fire insurance and give me a better life. And they've got the whole thing twisted. God's not here for you. You were created for God. Created for God by God. To serve God. And to honor him with your life. Not just the paid people. Not just the seasoned and the senior you know, veterans of the Christian faith. You. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, get busy serving him. Honor him with what he gives you. That's what it is to be a servant. Servants don't sit. You sit at your job long enough, you're going to lose it. Thankfully, God keeps us, loves us, perseveres through our, uh, you know, rebellious no thanks. But he hopes for us to realize his purposes for us and then to join him actively in serving him and those that he loves the third thing this writer talks about uh, being a servant of God is that we're obedient, not rebellious. It's a little different from being God-directed and not self-directed. Obedience basically means I know the rules, I know where the lines are drawn, and I operate accordingly, even if no one's watching. Let me say that again. I know the rules, I keep the rules, even when others aren't watching. Because most of us are great at keeping the rules when the lights are on, when everybody sees us, Right? Uh, there's this whole like uh, economy of uh, obedience called, you can't do that at church. Anybody ever heard that before? I'll have conversations with people and, and uh, someone will tell me a little fib about a story they were telling and their partner or their, you know, whoever's with them will be like, oh, that's a lie. You can't lie in church. You can't lie. It's not just in the walls that you have to be obedient. Everybody gets that, right? You're not just compliant with God and his word for an hour on Sunday. If you're a servant of Jesus, if you're his slave, as you're meant to be, then you know the rules and you keep them, even when others aren't watching. Of course, on the week that I'm about to preach this, God sends me a little test. I went to lunch recently this week and uh, the bill came back and I had the same, listen, I've told you this before, if you go to a restaurant, find something you like and do not deviate. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay, so I get the same thing at this restaurant. Every time I go, I know exactly how much it costs. It came back, the bill, I was being served by a new server. She didn't understand all the upcharges because I'm kind of Harry Met Sally when it comes to my you know, orders at, at the restaurant. I do all these extra things, are you with me? I'll have what she's having. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I've done this and it raises the price uh, quite a bit. And it came to me and it was half off. And old Mark is like, ka-ching, right on, right? Who's with me? It's like, thank you, Lord, what a blessing. I'll spend this on other stuff for me. Is everybody picking the me focus there? Thank you, God, for blessing me, 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 I love me, 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 right? But then God says, hey, Mark, you know how much this costs, and even though you think it's overpriced, and I do. That's what you should pay. So I summon the girl, and I'm like, hey, i got to preach this Sunday. I didn't say that. But uh, <laughs> that's kind of what I thought. 
And I was like, hey, this isn't right. You need to go back. There's a, you know, a lady that works here. Her name is Viviana. Vivi will tell you uh, what I you know, need to be paying here, and, and you'll come back with the right bill, and I, I'll pay it gladly. And, and I'll even tip you extra today because, you know, I've got to preach this on Sunday. No, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and that's a funny ha-ha-ha story. But, you know, most sin is private. Most sin that we think we're getting away with is the stuff that no one sees. I'm telling you, if you're a servant of Jesus Christ, it's not just for an hour on Sunday. It's not just in these walls. It's not just in front of your life group. It is your life, always. A servant is God-directed, not self-directed. A servant is active, not idle. A servant knows the rules and obeys them. He doesn't rebel. I told you it was kind of like these first two verses are like the cover of the box. It's telling us what's going to come in the letter to the Philippians. And just so you know, staying low is a huge uh, nail that Paul continues to hammer throughout this letter. Apparently, I mean, I'm so grateful that no churches struggle with this these days, but apparently there was some uh, division within the church. There was some people within the church who were uh, disappointed with each other. Uh, In in chapter 2, verse 14, he talks about their complaining and their grumbling and tells them to cease it. In chapter 4, he actually calls out two women by name. Go for it, Paul. He says, hey, Syntyche and Euodia, two other great names for your kids. He says, I want you to get along. Why? Because division in the body decreases the effectiveness of the mission. And so if you aren't staying low for Jesus and submitting to him, you're not going to submit to each other. The two go together. So stay low so that things can go smooth. Not just in your life, but in God's church. second thing that he says in this letter, uh, as he continues just his opening lines, is stay loyal to Jesus. So he says, hey, it's me, Paul, and Timothy, my buddy. Um, We're slaves to Jesus Christ, Uh, parentheses, you should be too. And then he says, to all the saints, Philippians 1, second half of verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, uh, with the overseers and the deacons, I love that he adds that classification because some people in the church think the saints in the church are the muckety-mucks, you know, the higher-ups. Like maybe you grew up in a church that had like stained glass windows of the the fathers or the the, the mothers, the the nuns or the priests uh, who had, you know, somehow served God in these dramatic ways and and had merited sainthood. Uh, And they got their own window. And so when you thought of saint, maybe you thought, oh, it's, it's those people. It's the higher-ups. But when Paul addresses the church at Philippi, he's very clear to make this distinction. All y'all. It's a Texan Greek word. All the saints, including the overseers and the deacons, but not excluding the rest of you. Again, with powerful intention. He, he takes what has been uh, kind of this normal form of greeting. Uh, the, the way you would address your letters back then is you would start with signing it, so you'd write your name, so Mark, to the church at Bay Life, right? And then you would say this word, karin, which is the Greek word for greetings. It comes from good tidings or uh, charis. 
is the word for grace. We're going to see that in just a little bit. It's basically a conference of good on someone. That's how you'd start your letter. Mark, to you, what's up? But Paul takes this form and he says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus. To you, the church at Philippi, all of you who are saints. I love the, the word for saint here. It's hagioi, I said that earlier. It's kind of a, a cousin word to the word for church, which is ekklesia. Uh, church is, uh, uh, or the Greek word for church is, is almost uh, solely used by the church of itself. We are the called out ones. That's what ekklesia means. Ek is out of, kaleo is the Greek for call. So we're the called out ones. Uh, but it's no wonder that in the group that is the called out ones, the members are called the saints, the set apart ones. Hagioi means basically holy. Not a, a, a self-holiness, uh, but a, a holiness that has been uh, conferred on us by the one who has called us out of the world. You're a saint because of your calling in Jesus Christ. If you follow him, he chose you to be his saint. Paul writes about this as he opens his letter to the Corinthians. The first letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, goes this way. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified. It's another form of the word hagios. It's the, uh, the, the adjectival form of hagioi. Uh, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. There it is, hagioi, together with all those who are in every place call, uh, who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Church Big C, we're the called out ones, sanctified, made holy by God to be his holy ones, his called out saints. Our allegiance then is to the one who owns us, the one who's called us, and we are to be loyal to God first. Now we understand loyalty as Americans, right? It's hammered into us from like day one at school. What's the first thing you learned? I had to stand up in kindergarten. Actually, I was in Canada at the time, so that broke down. But uh, uh, when, I, when I got to America, <laughs> see, I told you, you can't just make stuff, you can't lie, keep the rules. Anyway, uh, when I got to America, one of the first things I learned in elementary school was the Pledge of Allegiance, all right? I know you know it. Everybody stand up. We're going to be good patriots. There it is. It's our flag. Is it behind me? Here we go. Hands on hearts. Here we go. What do we say? I pledge allegiance. Thank you very much. You may be seated, Americans. Interesting, this uh, started in 1892. Uh, it came out of a textbook. It was written by a guy, a socialist actually, who had hoped uh, that all countries would adopt these words for their flag. It wasn't American specific, uh, but the Americans took it obviously. And in 1954, just useful, useless trivia, uh, Dwight Eisenhower added the under God part in the heart of the Cold War. He's like, maybe we should throw God into this thing. Glad he did, it's still there. Love that people, when they stay in school, have to say under God, even if they don't believe in him. It's great. Fitting that, listen, some, I read uh, up a little bit on the pledge. Some Christian groups are like, we're not doing it. We're not doing the pledge. 
because we think it you know, diverts our, our, our true allegiance away from the one that it's supposed to be put upon. I can understand that in some levels. Uh, again, I don't think that we need to exclude our countryness from our Christianness. Okay, they can go together. It's just a matter, one more time, of priority. Look at me. You're not an American first. Not even close. You're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian first. God comes first. And I know it's hammered into us by our schools, which are led by our state, by our country, uh, to, to pledge allegiance to our flag, and rightly so. But when we, when we come to Christ, our allegiance is to him. We have these creeds uh, that should be um, on our heart in the same way that those words that we just uttered for our country are on our hearts. Uh, I won't even make you stand for this one, but just read it with me. It's the Apostles' Creed. It goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, died and was buried. On the third day he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Catholic there doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. It means the universal church, big C. But that's our pledge. These are the things that are primary in the Christian life. And so Paul says, hey, to the saints, to all y'all, not just the, the muckety mucks, remember that you're the called out ones, called to a life where you make God your primary. Staying low and loyal as we finish up is only possible because of this second verse I want to preach to you. It's only possible because the grace of God has been conferred on us and the peace of God reigns in our lives. Again, Paul takes the normal greeting, which was just the word Kareem, greetings, and he shifts it so subtly but so intentionally. And he writes this in three of his letters. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that he says this in conjunction with those two titles. We're slaves, we're saints. You know how? Grace that's brought peace. Grace that's brought peace. This word charis in our Bibles uh, is a frequent uh, appearer. Um, Grace is what uh, was given us. We didn't deserve salvation, and God in his love for us sent his son to die. Grace is what's given us every day. Uh, it tells us in the Old Testament that God's mercies are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness, right? Grace is the fuel that the Christ life runs on. It doesn't start apart from it, it doesn't persist apart from it, and it doesn't grow apart from it. Grace makes it all happen. God made the first move, and we respond to him as slaves and as saints because of his grace. His grace came and it gave us peace. Saving grace gave us peace with God. 
peace with God. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, we were aliens <laughs> from God. We were enemies, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. We had nothing to do with him. Even though he loved us, sin separated us from him. But the Bible t- tells us that because of his grace, we can have peace with God. He stood in our gap. He paid our price so that we might have life with him. Anybody grateful for that this morning? Yeah, it was a few years ago. Uh, my son Cooper was still living at my house. He had just learned to drive. Uh, and a, a notice came from the state to, uh, to our home. I opened it up, and it was a ticket. It had a website, and it said, you've run a red light. And I was pretty sure that I had not. So I went to the website that showed the actual camera that is, I believe, still posted up at the corner of uh, Regency and State Road 60 up there by the mall, right? And, and my son's car, which was registered to my name and owned by me, uh, sure enough, zoomed right through a bright red light. I could just watch the whole thing happen. And so the court did not contact him. The court contacted me. Guess who had to go to the Plant City Courthouse to stand in judgment over his son's ticket? I'll give you two ideas, uh, two thumbs, this guy right here. And I stood there in the court, and the judge asked me the question, do you plead guilty to what is obviously the case here? And I was torn. Is anybody in this situation torn with me? I wanted to say, no, it was my bonehead kid. He's the one who drove through the light. But that doesn't matter to the law. All he needs is for someone to say, yep, that was me, that was our car, and to pay the fine. Now, this story breaks down a little bit because I went home and Cooper had to work off the ticket. Are you with me? (laughs) But the parts that I want you to get are this, that God, uh, once Adam and Eve had blown through the light, and their nature was imputed to all of us, and we all blew through the light. God went to court on our behalf, and his son paid our price. And it's by his grace that we have peace with God. But it's not just saving grace that God's given us. It's his sanctifying grace, a daily grace that brings us daily peace, the daily peace of God. As I think about our graduates out heading out into a turbulent world, uh, there's all kinds of stresses, anxieties that await them, right? I mean, great things too. I don't want to be a total downer. Sorry, Jonah. Lots of things are going to need to be faced, right? And we can get kind of freaked out about, you know, what's going on in life. It's, um, you know, been something at the Saunders house this week. We've had to walk through and wrestle through several things as a family. And it's on these days that I'm grateful for the The truth that Paul uh, just opens his letter with here, grace and peace are ours. Every day that we wake up, God gives us his grace that we might find daily peace. Later in the letter, we'll get to it uh, sometime at the end of the summer, uh, Paul talks about anxieties. He says, don't. Be anxious for nothing, he says, right? Pray about everything. Give thanks in the wake of the circumstances of your life. And when you do that, verse 7 of chapter 4 says this. I just got this cool little plaque from a, a family that I'm uh, counseling that lives in Germany of all places. They sent me this actual verse on the week that I was going to preach it. Come on, God knows, right? And this is the verse that I'm sharing with you right now. It says, the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The grace that God gives us is life with him. And life with him leads to peace, his peace. 
He guards our heart. I love that. It's one of my favorite little phrases in the Bible. God is the guard of our hearts. He keeps the stress out of our minds if we allow him and choose him and seek him. Uh, on, on May the 4th, it's a special day in the American culture. Everybody knows that, right? May the 4th be with you, right? Uh, my, uh, my son is a huge Star Wars nut, and so my wife uh, got he and I tickets to go watch Star Wars, the original, at Tampa Theater on May the 4th this past Thursday. Um, we went in there, and uh, it might surprise you, there's lots of people in Tampa who want to see Star Wars on May the 4th. It was a panic, and it was, it was no assigned seats at this place, right? So the horde is descending uh, on this little Tampa theater, and, uh, and, and everybody is, is trying to get in, but everybody stopped before they do. Why? Because we have to know that you bought some tickets. They live on our phones these days, and there's someone with a little burp that lets you go past them, and then you're in. Who's been to something like this? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's TSA. It's anywhere you go. If you want to get through, you got to get past them. I picture when we pray and ask God for his grace, um, him sending his messengers, his angels, however it works, and him standing at the door of our hearts and saying, hey, man, if it isn't uh, the fruit of my spirit, if it isn't the hope that we have in God, if it isn't the, the, the right things, I'm not letting it through. It's got no place in the life of the servant, of the saint who lives by grace, they will receive my peace. Right side priorities. Stay low for Jesus. Stay loyal to Jesus. Graduates, if you're here in the crowd, I know some of you are. Those are my chief hopes for you. I hope you have a great college experience. I hope God blesses you in ways that we'll be able to celebrate as you come back and report. But my chief hope for you is that as you go through life, the good, the hard, the impossible, that you'll understand what matters most, that your first pledge will be to your God, that you'll stay humble in life with him, that you'll let him direct, you'll stay active on his behalf, you'll obey his rules, and you'll be his called out one, his saint, loyal to him above all. I know some of you are here today and uh, you've never made a decision um, uh, to leave the life that you've lived to this point and, and join Jesus in the life that he wants to give you. Uh, what we've read this morning from our Bibles is that whether you see it or not, you're a slave to sin. You are living without the grace of God. And I'm hoping that today will be the day that you choose him and by faith receive what his son died to give you new life with him. There may be others here this morning who are kind of on a break. Maybe you're watching online. You don't even want to come and hang out because you're just kind of like, eh, okay, I'll just, I'll just watch, but I'm not really paying attention because I know that my life is not putting God first. And I know that uh, I'm heading in, in other directions, looking for meaning in other places. There might be some here, I know there are, who are so cratered by the stuff of life that it's just hard to even see the goodness of God and the ways that he wants to lead us. Whatever the case, 
My hope for those who I just mentioned is simply this, that as James put it in his letter, that you would humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so that he might lift you up. Stay low, stay loyal, and God's grace and peace are yours. That's something to be grateful for today, isn't it? Can we stand up and sing our gratitude to our God?